Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What up, Fightful fam, and welcome to One Two Punch. Player one, Shaquille Madjui. Player two, Dan Levy, but you might know him as just Dan on Twitter and YouTube because he doesn't throw his name, last name out there so easily. I had to dig for it. Of Best Fight Picks, of course. Dan, how's it going, man? It's going absolutely phenomenal, Shaq. It's uh, great to be on here with you. You know, it's funny because the co-host of my podcast, Half the Battle, his name is also Shaq. I found this like- out and I was blown away. Such a rarity that I meet another Shaq in the space. But, uh, man, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on here. Yeah, man, I'm stoked to do this. Shout out to the other Shaq. We'll have to get some sort of ultimate crossover at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> um, all right, guys, welcome to One Two Punch. If you're a fan of the show, you know how we operate. If it's your first time, maybe you hopped on the bandwagon with Dan. Let me give you a quick breakdown of how this works. It's news talk, but we do it. On a win-lose-draw system, what that means is we're going to talk about some of the week's biggest winners and losers before drawing up a preview for UFC 259. And, you know, before people start adding me, when we call people losers, we're not necessarily, we may be, but we're not necessarily calling them losers of life. Just whose stock went up, whose stock went down. It's not that deep. All right, let me hit this snazzy animated intro. Boom. Quick reminder, if you can, please hit subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a like on this video. All these small acts go such a long way to helping us do what we do, and we very much appreciate it. Hit us up on the chat. It's the best way for me to know that we're running smoothly. I don't have to hold my headset to my ear like a weirdo. And if you're feeling super generous, leave a super chat donation. That helps us a lot, too. We'll get to all your questions, comments, whatever you got. All right. That's enough shilling out of me. Let's get started. Um... There are a lot of losers this week, unfortunately, so I think we might actually start on that end. And the first one I want to kind of talk about is Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt posts this eight-second clip to Instagram where basically um, it appears, according to his caption, that he and his family were kicked off of a Southwest Airlines flight because his two-year-old son either wouldn't wear the mask properly. I don't know how you convince the two-year-old to do such a thing or they wouldn't put the mask on. Something to do with a two-year-old and a mask. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure people have 
different opinions about the situation. But what I think probably was not a great look for Cody is that he's walking down the flight attendant who's locking themselves in a bathroom for their own safety. It was an eight-second clip, but boy, did it say a lot. What do you make of... It's hard to speak on the incident. We don't really know the specifics. All we know is Cody's account of it. But what do you make of the video he put out, Dan? I mean... I wish I could sit here and say I'm surprised, but we know that, you know, the guy's got a history of being a bit of a hothead and I don't really know any background info like you were, like you were alluding to either, you know, like maybe Southwest could have given the kid, you know, maybe they could be giving out masks themselves. So we don't really know exactly what happened. If he had a mask for his kid and the kid said no, or if he simply refused to put a mask on his, on his child altogether. So we don't really know, but we do know that Cody, uh, has a bit of a temper uh, problem and definitely not a good look uh, with the guy locking himself in the bathroom, but I doubt Cody would have beat up some no. non-fighter like as you know, he might not be the brightest, but he ain't that dumb. I don't think he was going to beat anybody up. So yeah, just some more entertainment on fight week. Yeah. And from what I understand, and I, I don't know this, I just heard this from a colleague that apparently right now the policy in the U S is anyone to and up has to wear one on a flight. So if that's the case, um, whether or not you agree with the policy, it is the one that uh, supposedly these airlines have to follow. So I don't know if you can blame the flight attendant for saying, hey, you got to do this. Um, Someone does point out, Steve and Nathan in the chat, something about the pilots weren't wearing them either. I don't quite know what the situation was with the pilots. They probably should have been, but I imagine there's a bigger issue when you have tens possibly up to 100 people cooped up in one part of the airplane without protective gear versus two pilots who are in close quarters in their own space in the cockpit uh probably should have still been wearing it i've seen that whole thing but i I don't know it was just weird that he went to the length of putting this online it might start a discussion but i don't think it helps him in any way yeah no i i feel where you're coming from um i wish i knew more about the situation i guess the question i want to know here are those some samurai swords uh, behind you, bro? My this my I gotta get rid of those because every episode I gotta take like a ten minute detour here. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about it real quick. Um, Aaron Bronsetter of TSN shout out was uh, trashing me for having a really bad backdrop, which I still do. It's a work in progress. But I did steal my dad's katanas. These ones are all decorative or uh, wooden ones for practice. But I do have an authentic one here. It's just too heavy to. Uh, comfortably sit on the stand we gotta do this like every week i'm sure people are used to it so this one is apparently like like war used in battle japanese katana samurai style i can't tell you much beyond that but there we go and i'm breaking it already as you can see like it's it's falling apart but that's how you know it's legit right it's badass man so out of curiosity um because i mean this is the first time you and i talk so What's like your like ethnicity? Do you have any Japanese in you? No, not at all. My dad just likes samurai culture. He uh, just likes collecting. Yeah, a full blood Iranian, born in Canada. Um, but yeah, my dad's very much a fan of samurai culture. Uh, grew up on a lot of samurai movies. I myself am a bit of an anime nerd, not quite to the extent of Israel Adesanya. Don't come at me, weebs. Um, but it's it's an interesting. It just so happens that we both have kind of taken to different parts, different generations of Japanese culture. Are you a Persian Iranian? Yes, yes, sir. Hell yeah, so. dude! Is Persian food not the best oh, food so good. on planet Earth? I know you're probably biased. Listen, I'm not Persian, but I can tell you right now, Persian food 
if you've never tried Persian cuisine, try it as soon as Shaq and I get off this uh, call because it is literally the best food on planet That's Earth. That's so good. And my grandmother just moved here from Iran permanently. Boy, nothing beats like grandma's day-long cooking. It is the best. Just have to wait for that quarantine period to end so we can get on it. Um, all right. Let's move on because we could do this forever. But I imagine some people, some people are here for MMA talk. Uh, next up on the loser's docket, unfortunately, Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, both released from the UFC. I don't quite know what the situation was with Alistair, but according to ESPN, the UFC did offer Junior Dos Santos a short-notice fight against Marcin Taibura. He turned it down just because of the amount of time he had to prep. He was already on a four-fight losing streak, all via KOs within 10 minutes. UFC dumped him. Um, honestly, like it is what it is. I think we saw this coming, but I think it's kind of a bad look. for not, not that the fan base is going to mobilize in any way, but I still feel like it's kind of a grimy look for the UFC to... If they just wanted to part ways with the guy because of his age and his record, fine. But to say, hey, take a short notice fight, you won't? All right, now we got nothing for you. Seemed a little odd to me. What do you make of it? I mean, I get where you're coming from, but at the end of the day, like, I don't blame JDS for turning down that fight because, firstly, he was concussed against Cyril yeah, Gunn for sure. a few months ago. So from JDS' side, I completely understand turning down that fight. But from the UFC side, I completely understand them parting ways, too. I mean, this guy is nowhere near the guy he once was because i mean if you recall who jds was back in the day talking about his ufc debut the knockout against fabricio Wardoom, all the way to his title winning effort against kane velasquez followed by the subsequent title defense against frank mir that's one of the greatest heavyweights we've ever seen mm -hmm. clearly he's fallen on some hard times so he is at that point where he's damaged goods so i understand the ufc not really wanting to give him any more fights and the fight they did offer him against tybura tybura is not really known for his for his knockout threat so that was actually one of the more winnable fights for jds but jds probably needs some more time off uh but i'm just kind of bummed out that you know a prospect like tom aspinall isn't going to get the jds name on his mm -hmm. resume so <laughs> i know that sounds super insensitive and this and that but whatever this is the fight game this is a brutal sport um i understand both sides on it honestly um but yeah i i guess you could say jds uh was on the losing side this week uh, are you a little more surprised about Overeem's departure? Again, another guy up there in age. We know he's not really going to vie for a title at this point, but he'd won two of his last three fights, finishing both Walt Harris and Augusto Sakai. Also a little odd to me that they were willing to offer Junior Dos Santos a fight, but at least from the information we have thus far, looked like there was nothing left for Overeem. Yeah, listen, Overeem's got a very expensive contract. If you look at his salaries, they money. really... They're really like different than everybody else because they're literally down to the cent. Like you usually see like someone, oh, they get 250k to show whatever. This guy's like 733 and 28 cents. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? So literally, uh, Overeem was making a lot, a lot of money. So that's a nice expense that gets cut from the UFC's uh, payroll. They don't got to worry about that anymore. And I mean, he gave us everything he had i mean what more like what more juice is there to squeeze out of over him at this point so it makes sense to me honestly and it appears according to his instagram post that i don't think he's looking to go anywhere else i think he's going to call it a career and i think that's the right call uh i talked to we had sean sheehan on the show of severe mma heading into uriah hall versus anderson silva and i asked him the question when is the right time for a guy to retire? And it, 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 there's no blanket answer. It's sort of dependent on what a fighter is trying to accomplish. In Anderson Silva's case, it appeared that every time he talked, he still wanted 
one more chance to be UFC middleweight champion. So if that's your goal, and it was for Overeem to win that heavyweight title, and you reach a point where it really doesn't look like it's going to happen, it's time to retire. Because what are you fighting for if you can't fight to the level that you desire? Yeah, um, I mean, you're 100% correct, my friend. Um, he had an incredible run. Like, what else is there for Overeem to do? Um, if he wants to go to Japan, you know, where the competition is a little bit easier, like Chris Lieben used to say back in the day, I completely understand that. Also, the drug testing is a lot more lenient over there, so he can get back into Overeem form. So I, I support whatever decision they want to make. It's just I, I have a feeling Overeem knows when to say when, and I say knows when to say when. He took like 16 knockout losses, so he could have said he could have said when a couple of years back, but at least he's finally saying like, okay, I've had enough. Whereas JDS, I have a feeling he continues to fight. Yeah, I, I I give all the credit in the world to Overeem. Like during this run, no matter how many times he got finished, he was able to sort of reinvent himself, come back, and win against rank competition. So. I think this is the right time for him. He said this was his final run for UFC gold. It came to an unfortunate stop at Volkov's hands. I'm never going to push a fighter to fight past when they want to. Um, who do you think, last thing on Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, of the two, who do you think has the greater legacy in MMA? Because you got Junior Dos Santos, who was heavyweight champion, but it wasn't a long reign. Then you have Overeem, who never won the world title, but... First ever K1 and MMA world champion, a decorated career across multiple organizations. I think I give the nod to Overeem. I understand where you're coming from. However, the ultimate goal of every single fighter on planet Earth is to become the UFC world champion. Not only did he become world champion by knocking out Cain Velasquez on the first ever card Mm -hmm. on Fox, by the way. He also defended the title, too. No matter what happens, he can go out there and lose 20 fights in a row. He can always walk into his house, see a UFC belt on the mantle, and that right there is a bigger accomplishment than anything Overeem's done. I got to go JDS. Okay, 50-50. I like it. Um, Are there any other losers that come to mind for you over this past week before we move on to what I would consider an intermediate entry? (laughs) Not, not off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure if you brought up some topics, we could talk about them. But at the end of the day, uh, tomorrow on Saturday is when we're going to see winners and losers. Yeah, we're all going to be winners for watching it. Let me hit up the chat real quick. We do have a bunch of stuff. Let me see. Uh, Joseph Boza says, I was surprised about Overeem's release. He had a two-fight winning streak snapped by Volkov. I can see Coker making a bid. I, You know what? If Overeem has a change of heart, I think he would be a top five heavyweight in Bellator immediately. A Fedor rematch, I think, would be huge. Uh, they were talking about doing Fedor and Fabricio. So I think there's a kind of a legends heavyweight division in which Overeem would be very, very competitive. Um, but, you know, I, I'd rather he retire if that's what he wants. Um, let's see what else we got here. And, okay, did you see uh, the... Uh, we? I, did you catch the weigh-ins? I know we were going to try and catch the face-offs there, but we had to start the show. Did you see Izzy and Jan weighing, uh, facing off yet? So I saw all the face-offs except uh, Amanda and uh, Izzy. Okay, so people are saying, we got a bit of a debate in the chat. Some people are saying Izzy actually looks to be bigger than Jan. Other people are saying, well, Izzy's at full weight. Just give Jan a chance to rehydrate. Jan definitely physically is the bigger of the two guys. Like He, he could probably be a, he- a, light heavy- a lighter heavyweight if he wanted to, right? I mean, look, Izzy's the taller man. Yeah, there's no he's the taller man. But in terms of who's got more muscle mass, who weighs more, um, Jan, I mean, there's 
Jan would have to cut off a leg to make 85s, and Izzy can make 85s tomorrow. So, I mean, Jan's the bigger man. It's just Izzy's the taller man. What do you make? It's kind of unusual, right? When people, like, you see John Jones moving up to heavyweight, doing a lot of bulking, and obviously there's a bigger jump there. But from the get-go, Izzy and his camp said, we're not going to try and bulk up and match Jan for size for size. We're going to take this time to implement the perfect game plan and get our tools as sharp as possible. And, hey, look, it, that's exactly what Izzy did. He waited at 200.5 pounds for a 205-pound fight, carried a box of pizza with him to the weigh-in. Uh, do you think that's the right strategy? Uh, yes, because I don't know if you recall, but there was this fight between John Jones and Ovis, Ovin St. Preux. Jones was coming off a serious layoff, and he had done a lot of power lifting in the lead-up to the Ovin St. Preux fight. And a lot of people criticized John Jones for that fight. They said he looked slower. They said he didn't look the same as he normally does. And then obviously in you know later fights, he went on to knock out DC. He went on to never lose a fight. He's still never lost a fight. But that performance he was heavily criticized for. And I think that Adesanya, why put on some unnecessary muscle? I mean, Adesanya truly believes that, hey, my martial arts skill alone can yeah. go out there and beat any man on planet Earth. So if that's really the case, let's find out why. Why lift some extra weights and potentially compromise your biggest advantage, which obviously it could be technique, but I'm thinking more about speed here. You know, the expression speed kills. So don't don't compromise any of your advantages. And I think he's doing the right thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, power is an asset in the fight game, no doubt about it. But I think and we saw it in Paulo Costa in the Paulo Costa Izzy fight when you're as technically superior as Izzy is you make up for that power with your speed and your precision. Like, he doesn't need power to compromise his ability to knock people down. He is so precise and so perfect with his technique that he can hit that button at any point. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Okay, let's move on to our intermediate guy before we move on to the winners. Conor McGregor, interesting week for him. So, uh, Conor McGregor and his manager, Adi Attar, of course, own a chunk uh, i think at the time a majority chunk of proper number 12 irish whiskey uh i can't remember the name of the company but they are the same spirit company that owns jose cuervo they apparently had a clause in their contract where they could buy out a majority share of proper number 12 when they want to and so they enacted that clause they bought connor and audis uh i don't uh, some people are saying he's they still have a minority share in the company but at the very least, Connor and Audi were forced to sell enough shares that this company now has a majority stake in proper number 12. There are questions about whether or not uh, Connor was going to stay on board as some sort of brand ambassador or leave. He put out a video the next day promoting proper number 12. Uh, what do you make of this? So this is kind of outside my realm of expertise. It seems like it wasn't necessarily Connor's choice to sell those shares. But he is the brand, and I don't foresee him parting ways ever, really. The only thing I take away from it is they must have made an offer he couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a very smart businessman. I know Audi Attar a very long time, and that guy is no slouch at all. They're making the right decisions. They're doing what makes most sense for them. And if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense, Shaq. You know that firsthand. So I, I think that they're probably, uh, as my dad used to say, uh, they're laughing all the way to the bank, Shaq. Hey, I'm all for it, man. Go get paid. Go make your money. Um, and yeah, he he is he is proper number twelve. Whether or not he has a say in the day to day operations at this point, 
I can't imagine a world where you're going to separate Conor McGregor from proper number 12. Because let's be honest, the whiskey on its own isn't good enough to justify <laughs> it if you don't have the notorious one attached to it. You know, it's funny. I've still never tried it. I do, however, have two bottles of Dustin Poirier's hot sauce in my mm. fridge. Um, and it's very nice for breakfast. But, yeah, I've still never tried the proper 12 whiskey. Maybe now that he's sold it, maybe someone wants to buy me a bottle. Let's see. Let's do it. We'll have a, we'll have a taste test. All right, guys, let's move on to the winners of the week. Quick reminder, if you can please hit subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a like on the video. All that good stuff. You know what's up. Helps the channel grow. Thank you very much. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Listen, um, it's a huge week for everyone involved. UFC 259, one of the biggest pay-per-views, probably of 2021 in its entirety when it's all said and done. We got three world title fights. Who would have thunk it? They seem to all be in t- intact for now. In this era of uh, MMA and a world on lockdown, you can never be too confident, but it appears all three main event title fights are going to go through. Um, As a fan, uh, let's break this up because there are different things that sort of contribute to how much you look forward to a fight. Purely in terms of technique for technique, which fight are you most looking forward to out of the three title fights? Um, out of the three, I mean, I think you got to go with Piotr Yan versus Aljamain mm-hmm. Sterling. And even in, when you look at the odds, it's a pick em fight. Um, so people are, people are very, uh, convinced on both sides and that's what makes it such a great fight. And you got the real number one versus the real number two. And Aljamain Sterling is a guy that's truly come a long way because back in the day when you fought Brian Caraway, I bet on a guy named Brian Caraway at plus 350 odds to be Aljamain Sterling. And the ticket actually cashed, which is even crazier than the fact that I bet Brian Caraway against Aljamain Sterling. And, you know, his nickname is the, the Funk Master. Back in the day, I used to think that he was the Fraud Master. But you know what? He is transformed into one of the best fighters in that weight class. He's so unorthodox. He uses his tools to his advantage. And, I mean, he takes someone's back, and it might be over shortly after. It's just here against Piotr Yan. Piotr Yan is a guy who, even prior to his UFC run, his two fights with this guy named Magomed Magomedov, like that was already high-level title fights prior to him being in the UFC. So he's already got championship experience. I, I just think that this is probably one of the best Bantamweight title fights we've seen in years, Shaq. So I, I cannot wait for it. I agree. I love the order of these fights because there is a different wrinkle to each of them, right? For Amanda Nunes, Megan Anderson, the allure is really, can Megan do it, right? Like, no one's expect, no one's, everyone's really counting her out. Obviously, everyone's got a chance. You have people who are on the bandwagon. But no one's, everyone's going to be, you know, pulling their hair out if Megan Anderson wins because it'll be such a big upset, I think. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last they checked, Nunez is like a plus 1,400 favorite. In Jan Sterling, you really have two guys who... Uh, people who are confident in Jan are very confident in Jan, and the people who are confident in Sterling are very confident in Sterling. And I would say, up until this point, Sterling's got the better resume. Like, no offense to legends in Uriah Faber and Jose Aldo, but those victories alone don't tell me that P- Piotr Jan is the best bantamweight in the world right now because those guys are on the tail ends of their careers. So here's a chance for Sterling, who completely smothered Sandhag and choked him out cold in the first round, to go in here and prove like, hey man, I've been denied for so long and here's my chance to cash in on everything that's been promised to me over and over again. And then of course, a super fight. Izzy, dude, there's been a lot. I've I've been looking at the uh, statistics. Izzy... Uh, and Jan have been out-trafficking the other two title fights tenfold. Is this the fight? Should Izzy win? That will make him a global superstar. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that, firstly, he already is a superstar, but to take it to that McGregor level, you got to do McGregor things. Well, here's your chance to become a champ champ. That is McGregor things. Um, So, of course, he goes out there, he defeats Jan Blachowicz. He becomes not only a two-division champion, uh, Shaq, but he becomes 21-0 and 0 mm. in MMA, right? Like, you don't often see records like that. The only people I can think of, Habib, 29-0, and 0, uh, John Jones. I know it says, what, 26-1, and 1, but between you and me, he's 28-0. and 0. He's never lost a fight either. Um, so he just, you know, further elevates himself to that, you know, exclusive group of guys that have never been beaten, but they're also champ champ status. I know John Jones is trying to accomplish that himself with this move to heavyweight. So, and then for Jan Blahovich, you saw the reception he got in Poland when he brought home that belt with him. Can you imagine what happens? Not only if he brings back his first title defense, but if he becomes the first man in MMA history to defeat Izzy Adesanya, it's going to be, it's going to be massive for the winner of this fight, regardless which way it goes. Sorry, folks. There's my dog's shrill bark. Sit down. There's like people mowing the lawn outside, got a little territorial here. Uh, boy, last thing on this before we, we move on with the show. Can I just say, in a dream world where Izzy becomes the middleweight and light heavyweight champ and John Jones becomes the heavyweight champ and we get that super fight, that is the biggest fight in MMA of all time, right? We're talking a two-division champ versus, a, you know, for lack of a better term, another two-division champ and John who vacated one title before getting the next. And you got a rivalry there. It's been years in the making. I, could you, I, Izzy and John, both guys basically undefeated. That is the greatest fight in MMA history, right? It really is. And I mean, not only the fact that it's the two most, you know, alpha male confident guys, but it's like the two 
baddest dudes in 205 and 185, like two guys that have never lost a fight, period. I mean, like when's the last time Jones lost? Never. When's the last time Izzy lost? You'd have to go to a different sport to bring up the last time he lost. So, yeah, and just the, the confidence those two bring to the table, the aura. And then you take it a step further. How about the techniques? How about them as martial artists? They're probably arguably two of the best fighters we've ever seen in the history of the sport. So, yeah, that is a super fight through and through. Okay, last one of the winners that immediately jumps out of my head, if you can't tell I'm a little unprepared for today's show. Uh, I think not enough people are talking about Islam Makhachev versus Drew Dober. Now, obviously, Izzy and Jan have the most to gain, and perhaps Megan Anderson as well. But in terms of going from where they are to the next level in their career trajectory, Dober and Makhachev have a huge opportunity here. Islam is like one of the most followed MMA fighters on Instagram. He's got such a big community supporting him already. Uh, people have been waiting for him to get that next level competition. It was supposed to be Rafael dos Anjos before that fell through. So this is Islam's chance on the main card of one of the biggest fights of the year to really become the next Habib that people have predicted he would be for years. And for Drew Dober, Mr. Most Handsome Man in MMA, action fighter all the time, every time, you've got a chance to derail that and put yourself in a position to be a big player at lightweight. I don't think enough people are talking about this fight, but I think they will be by the time the card ends. Yeah, no questions asked. I mean, look, Drew Dober, uh, he's got such an amazing mindset. If you hear about him and you just really watch his transformation, this is a guy who has truly paid his dues. And he's been through all the ups and downs, and now he's finally being rewarded for his hard work. So it's truly beautiful to see what he's been able to accomplish. The issue with this matchup is that Islam Makachev has such a big advantage on the mat that I do think he's going to be very successful taking Drew Dober down, holding him down, possibly working his way to a submission. And then, uh, to, but to take it a step further, my man, you know that the last time Islam Makachev fought a southpaw striker was actually the night he lost uh, to Adriano Martins. Now he's up against that same matchup here, a southpaw striker, Drew Dober, who can knock anybody out on planet Earth. So if Islam decides that, hey, I want to test my stand-up, well, then we could see an upset. But Islam's such a smart guy. And to your credit, 2.6 million followers. Like he really is a very followed guy. Um, he is very popular. He does have a lot of pressure uh, on his shoulders, but I think he comes out here and he, I think he comes out here and he performs. Look, I love Drew Dober as a person. He was on my show, half the battle. And one of the most insightful oh, guys, just him. such an elite mindset. I, I love the guy and I'm rooting for him and I'm not rooting for him. Cause I have anything against Makachev. I like Makachev too. It's just, I've actually had interactions with Dober. So therefore, you know, yeah, I, I, think he's a yeah. I think he's a great guy, but there's a reason Islam Makachev is almost minus 400 favorite here, and that's because of his significant wrestling advantage, and I think that's what he's going to exploit here. Completely agree with you here. Um, all right, last winner before we move on to the UFC 259 preview that we've already kind of been dipping our toes into. Dana White says that uh, by next month, the UFC could possibly host a full-blown arena show in the state of Texas. Now, do I think that's a smart decision? No, to each their own. We've had this conversation long enough. But um, how big of a deal do you think it would be for the UFC to finally get one in? I know financially, uh, in terms of the atmosphere, they didn't want to half-ass it. They wanted to jump right back into a full show. I would be very hesitant right now. Oh, God. 
outside the office. Um, I'd be very hesitant right now to do it only because if something goes wrong in this early stage of reopening for the state of Texas, I wouldn't want to be the UFC bearing the weight of the blame. What do you make of them jumping back into it so soon? I mean, listen, when we say so soon, we got to take into consideration that it has been over a maybe over a full year since when, when, when did uh, Charles Oliveira fight Kevin Lee? Cause that was the first fight since the pandemic started. Was that in April of 2020? Was that March? Was that May? Like, Oh yeah, when, I think it was, I think it let was. Let me look April. that up because that'll give me the exact timeline of what we're looking at. Cause okay. So basically Kevin Lee fought Charles Oliveira. Okay. March 14th. So right now it's March 5th. By the time they go there, it will be over a year. So I'm not sure if it truly is so soon compared to when they started. So I think they have given enough time uh, to pass by. There have been other sporting events uh, where they've had like minimal crowds. And I guess Texas, you know, there, it is kind of the wild West over there, um, which is interesting. Cause it's like things like marijuana is like very frowned upon in Texas. Like you, yeah. if you get caught doing something like that in front of a Texas Ranger, uh, they might lock you up, but at the same time, they're also going to host a big event with a crowd. So it's kind of like a unique thing going on over there. But yeah, I mean, it's got to be either Texas or Florida as the first place back. Like those would be the only suitable options, I, I assume. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is uh, the reopening of the state is still relatively early. To be fair, I think by June, I don't know about what it's like in the States, but I know they're really hyper accelerating the vaccines. I just worry that if they don't get a good sample size of what full blown reopening looks like before they dive in there and you get a breakout at a UFC event, don't think it's gonna be a great look for the company. I, I, I hope they take their time just to assess the risk reward there. Um, but hey, I'd be lying if I, I can't tell, I can't tell if I'm excited to have fans back and have that atmosphere, especially for the first one, it'll be tremendous. I'm kind of going to miss hearing the coaches in the silent arena, hearing the impact of the strikes. Like I've actually really enjoyed this lockdown era of fights. No, I mean, I feel you, but I don't think it ends, man. I don't think that just cause they're going to have one event. That means that every mm -hmm. single weekend is going to be a packed crowd. I think they go out there, they do their one-off in Texas and then probably the next weekend they're back at the apex. So it's going to be a while before we get back to back to back sold out arenas. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I think this is more like a one-off. Hey, let's dip our feet in the water. Let's see how this goes and take it from there. And real quick, your dog's a cutie. Uh, yeah. Is your dog a mix? Yes, uh, since she's decided to derail the show, I just decided to bring her along for the ride. This is Navi. She is a Formosan mountain dog. They're native to Taiwan. She is a rescue. Uh, good girl, very smart, little territorial. That's the one thing we've had trouble weaning out thus far, um, hence the barking. But yeah, she's a sweetie. She's very tired. She would like to sleep, but um, you know, I think she wants to go check out what's happening outside, which I will let her as soon as we wrap this show. What's she mixed with? Uh, they're just the native breed of Taiwan. And they're street dogs, they're wild dogs, they're pets. And so I think they, they mix in the wild. And so you just call them collectively Formosan Mountain Dogs. You, you don't really know what's in the genealogy. Um, they, I think they were originally bred for, like, uh, the, for war or for security. And then they just kind of overpopulated. So... They, yeah, they run around in the wild. They run around the streets. The, her and her sister were found. They were fostered in Taiwan and then flown over to us in Vancouver. 
and um, they all have the same features. She's kind of small for her breed. They all have like the long ears, long tail, like very thin legs, kind of like a deer. But uh, the colors and the patterns all mix and match depending on which one you have. Like if you had to ask me what two dogs I think it, uh, she's mixed with, I would say it's a cross between a corgi and a German shepherd. She looks like a little German shepherd. You're right. You're and right. I, I got two German shepherds myself, so I'm a big dog lover. It's, it's funny because, or it's interesting, you got a lot of Asian culture. You got the dog. You got the samurai too. swords. Like what else don't we know about? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to say the first things that come to my mind because they're often very <laughs> immature um, <laughs> and inappropriate. But yeah, I don't know. It's multi- you live in Vancouver, a lot of multiculturalism. Uh, I mean, I have, I can't count how many different friends I have of like different ethnicities. Um, but yeah, it's a good time. And she's heavy. She's way too heavy to be holding up this long, but what are you going to do? It is what it is. All right. I'm sorry for the audio only listeners who have no idea what's happening right now, but uh, <laughs> if you haven't gathered by now, my puppy has derailed the entire show. All right. Let's move on to the closing portion or UFC 259 preview. Here's an interesting question I want you to think about. Um, Both in terms of pay-per-view buy rates and just sort of legacy, what do you think will ultimately be the bigger bigger event? And, you know, hindsight being what it is, kind of hard to measure, but UFC 259 or UFC 217? Three title fights, Bisping versus George St. Pierre, Garbrandt versus Dillashaw, Joanna versus Rose Namajunas. That was a banger of a... It's hard to compare because that was a banger of a card. Finishes in all three title fights. A blood feud between Team Alpha Males. Garbrandt and Dillashaw. You had GSP's successful return. And you had Rose um, dropping the champ. I'm going to go with this weekend, man. Listen, I just looked up the numbers. It said that uh, 217 did slightly under a mil. And I've noticed, or at least I heard from Dana, that the pandemic pay-per-views have been going through the roof. You're telling me three title fights during the pandemic era? People are going to be staying at home, watching this fight, ordering it. I'm going to say that UFC 259 surpasses what UFC 217 did. I like it. Um, And then the next thing I've got on this little preview, because we're about five minutes out from the end of the show. Who do you think, out of all the title fights this Saturday has the most to lose and the most to gain? Ooh, that's a, such a good question. Well, that's according to do, the buddy. odds... That's what I do, Dan. I like it. According to the odds, Amanda Nunes has the most to lose. Um, she's a minus 1,000 favorite. For those that don't know, that means you need to lay down... You need to risk $1,000 just to profit 100 So, I know, right? She's such a big favorite. Um, so, there's... There's Amanda Nunes, who, you know, she should not be caught dead losing to Megan Anderson. But there's also a lot to lose for Jan Blahovich too, man. I mean, like, he just accomplished his lifelong goal of becoming a world champion. He had that big ceremony in the airport in Poland when he came back. So for him to come back empty-handed, there's a lot of pressure on him. And then on the flip side, Israel Adesanya has got a 20-0 and record to protect. He's not just fighting to become a champ champ. He's fighting to become the best pound-for-pound fighter on planet Earth. Well, you can't lose a fight if you want to be the best pound-for-pound fighter on planet Earth. So there's honestly a lot of pressure. I would say the least pressure is on Megan Anderson. She is expected to lose. She's the biggest underdog on the whole card. No one's going to think any less of her if, if she loses. So 
I'd say she's got the least to lose, but all the champs, man, uh, th- this is a this is a big weekend for them, Shaq. It's huge. Uh, I will I will offer an interesting wrinkle to the Megan Anderson situation, for sure. I think there's a lot in her favor in terms of saving face. One, she is the biggest underdog on the card, and two, featherweight is so shallow that it wouldn't take much for her to get a rematch. I mean. Alicia Spencer is kind of sandwiched between them, and if you wanted to give someone else another featherweight title shot, don't have many options behind her. But I do think Megan Anderson has a lot to lose in the sense that if Amanda Nunes wins, uh, I've heard murmurs of just closing down the featherweight division because who else do you have at this point? And in a world where Nunes defends the title and they decide to do away with featherweight, that's it for Megan Anderson in the UFC because... You know, she's got quite a big frame for the women's divisions. So, interesting thing to consider there. Trying to think. Biggest, who has the most to lose aside from that? You know, I think Piotr Jan and Aljamain also have it pretty easy because it's such a pick em fight. If it's Especially if it's competitive, we're going to talk about rematches. Um, not too long down the line, you know, mix Corey Sanhagen in there. I think... Do you think Conor McGregor has lost a lot of shine from that Dustin Poirier fight? Because I think there's a level of celebrity, and I don't think he's quite there yet. But I think there's a point in which you're basically Teflon. Like, there will always be something lucrative for you. Do you think Izzy's at that point and moving up? Do you think he's got enough excuses that should he lose that he can recover momentum pretty quickly back in middleweight? Well, that's a really interesting question because it's like, McGregor may have lost some shine in terms of him being one of the baddest men on planet earth. Like no one thinks that he's this invincible guy anymore. So hundred percent there's that, but people still want to tune in to watch Conor McGregor. He's such a star that you remember what Dana used to say that um, if this guy can fight half as good as he can talk, he's going to be a huge star. He goes on to win two belts yeah. and two weight classes. But now we're at that point where, you know, he is kind of at that drop off point, but, but then again, Dustin Poirier has always been one of the baddest dudes at 55 and at 45. So losing to, you know, a top three guy isn't the worst thing in the world. It's just not that many people, you know, not too many casuals or, you know, people outside of the hardcore bubble know about Poirier until now, which I'm happy they do because Poirier has always been one of the most badass guys in the lighter weight classes. I've always loved Dustin Poirier. Like, name me the last boring Dustin Poirier fight you've ever seen. I know you can't, so there's no reason to even ponder. Um, so as far as Izzy losing, listen, he's undefeated right now. So he's at that point where he goes out here, he wins a second bell. Like, Hey, this is some real legacy type stuff. So it's really about what level of goat, you know, what level of goat ship, what level of legacy we're trying to deal with. And if he wants to go to a place that's never been done before, being an undefeated champ champ is a great start. For sure. I do think there's a lot of potential opportunity lost if Izzy loses. I don't know what it means for a John Jones fight down the future. I think there's a lot riding on what's next for him, depending on how he performs there. And so I might have to say Jan has the most to gain here because while Dustin Poirier isn't a Conor-level star, we saw the benefits of beating Conor McGregor. You saw him on Hot Ones. You saw him all over the place. And he's really established himself as a guy who's going to make a lot of really good money in the sport and has some name value. I think Jan with the win over Izzy gives him chance. He's not going to be Izzy-level popular ever, to be quite frank. He just doesn't have that personality um, and that aura. But he beats Izzy. Um, not only is it one of the most remarkable career turnarounds in history, 
He now positions himself as a genuine attraction that can headline any pay-per-view and co-main any enorm- under any enormous star. So, 100%. Uh, and, I mean, he's already building up that resume. I mean, he's won eight of his last nine. He's beat former champions, you know, knocked out Luke Rockhold. And before anyone's like, oh, Rockhold's got no chin. And going into that fight, Jan Blachowicz was a plus 200 underdog. So no one was saying that until after Jan Blachowicz launched Luke Rockhold. Going into the Dominic Reyes fight, everyone was acting like it was a foregone conclusion, like Dominic Reyes was the uncrowned champ, like he got robbed against John Jones, which uh, I personally don't agree with. So now Jan Blachowicz, he's got the belt. If he can defend the belt, and not only defend the belt, Shaq, but hand Izzy Adesanya his first ever career loss. I mean, it's only up from there, my man. So, yeah, I agree. He will uh, just take it to that next level of becoming a superstar if he can do that. Thank God for the one shot that I have on this program that has saved me from so many readjustments of this dog being on camera. She is heavier than I remember her being. Dan, uh, that is all the time we have for today. Please let the people know where they can find you. Well, firstly, Shaq, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on, and um, I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Big thank you to all your fans for checking this out. I truly appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you guys giving me a chance. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, and my podcast, Half the Battle, is available anywhere podcasts are found. So if you guys want to check that out, I appreciate it. And thank you again, Shaq. Uh, Nice to meet you, man. It's been great, man. I'm I'm, I'm sorry I got started so late. We didn't get a chance to build that rapport in advance but i think we killed it the chemistry is there guys shout out to navi for getting me my workout that i otherwise wouldn't today if you guys want to help us out please hit subscribe tap the notification bell leave a like on this video that goes a long way you can follow me on twitter at shack underscore food that's shack with a k shout out to everyone in the chat today joseph caleb steven and company for engaging with us it's the best part of the show without a doubt And a big shout out to our audio only listeners who never get enough shine, but are the foundation of what we do here at Fightful MMA and One Two Punch. Guys, enjoy UFC 259 tomorrow. We'll catch you next week. We'll have a watch along tomorrow with several guests. So stay tuned for that. I'm about to drop in a heaping pile of sweat and pain. So stay tuned for everything Fightful and so delightful. Peace out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.